I feel privileged because of God's goodness, first of all, but also because of the elders and Pastor Mike and others have invited me, and, and thank you very, very much. This has just been a great, a great opportunity to return, and, and uh, when I do finish my time here in Ethiopia for this rainy season, I will go with a heart full of joy and thanksgiving for, for all that uh, has happened in these weeks. So many of you have extended special greetings and love to us, and uh, you've really filled my heart with a sense of, of God's goodness and what He is doing in our lives together. Um, it is, of course, good for us to pray together. And let me remind you again that, that as we have already sung, we are praying to a God who is holy. He is not like us. He is set apart from us. And as we have already sung, we, we actually do not deserve to go to Him except through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we come to Him this morning in prayer as the people of God, people who have been called out from the world by our Father, chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, being transformed by the Spirit, and journeying together to that great day when the reign of Christ will fill the earth. So will you join me in prayer, acknowledging the greatness of our God and the privilege we have in bowing before Him. And so, our Father, indeed, we are delighted to know that You, our God, not like us, not a creature but the Creator, not frail but mighty, not temporal but eternal, not impotent but powerful, Lord, You allow us into Your presence. And so we do not come without a sense of fear and reverence and awe toward you. We only come because of the work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that we can call you Father. We can draw near to you because of our Savior. And indeed, our very sinfulness would keep us completely away from you, and yet you invite us because of the wonderful, complete, amazing work of our Lord. And so we thank you. Father, we bow and ask that you would forgive us for making you in our image, for you are not like us. You are at once all merciful and just, you are full of love and wrath and jealousy and, and grace and all of these amazing characteristics that you have all at once, all at the same time, without confusion, and infinitely so. How unlike us you are. Your faithfulness amazes us, for when we are unfaithful, you remain faithful to your people. We thank you. Father, this morning we would acknowledge yet once again that we are people who so quickly rebel against You. We, we run our own ways. Our hearts are bent toward ourselves rather than toward You. And so we pray that You would forgive us and that indeed we would sense that forgiveness from You and the welcome into Your presence. We acknowledge that from our our individual selves, to our family, to our city, to our nation, 
to our world, we, we have great needs this morning. And so we ask, Lord, that indeed you would be at work. And Father, I would ask that in each of these areas, in our individual lives, in our families, in our city, in our country, in our world, would you work in such a way that, that your hand is evident. Bring glory to yourself, and may we, your people, be seen as those who represent you well. Father, we thank you for what you're doing here at IEC. I thank you for the elders and, and many others who serve the church well. We thank you for Pastor Steve and ask that you'd bless him while he is away. Lord, may, may these be great days of, of the International Evangelical Church, extending the, the reach of the gospel and the glory of God to all who come into this building and even beyond to the places where we send our missionaries. Lord, would you, would you be at work through this church? And I pray for the members here especially, and those who are yet to be members, Lord, would you help them to be faithful to you and so supportive of this local church because, because of what you are doing. So, Father, help us to be people of great sacrifice. And now as we turn to your word, we ask your, uh, your, your great help for us that we might be able to focus, that we might be able to submit, that we might not just be passive, but that we might be active in our worship of you, even as we consider this great text this morning. We ask this all because we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Hamsters. You might know about hamsters. They're, they're kind of fuzzy, mousy-looking things with a short tail and chubby cheeks. And, and some people even think that they're, they're cute. Well, someone in IEC this week told me there's no such thing as a cute mouse. But all my friends that had hamsters, they always had a cage. And in the cage was a wheel. And, of course, the hamsters, they love to get on the wheel and run. And just run and run and run and run and run. And they never get anywhere. They just keep running. And of course, those who would gather around and just watch the hamster pitter patter, pitter patter, patter, pitter patter, patter with his feet going faster and faster. And it all seemed quite amusing. It was kind of silly to me because why would you watch a rodent run on a wheel and get nowhere? That hamster reminds me a lot of me and us. For so often our lives are characterized by running and running and running and, and getting to no real destination. We, we expend a lot of effort, but not able to get what we really think we are striving for. If you could if you could hover above Mexico Square tomorrow morning at about 7.30 in the morning, if you could hover about 500 meters up, you would recognize that, that we all live in a rat race. Uh, like hamsters in a wheel, our, our rat race is so evident as, as the cars are, are stopping and going and turning and swerving and everyone seems to be in a hurry but, but getting nowhere fast. I'm afraid it's more like the speed of turtles than the speed of rats. For some of us, 
we recognize along the way that we can never really get enough. We keep working harder and harder to get a, a little more money, a little more education, a little more learning, and yet, and yet we, we can't seem to get enough. We, we, we try to keep up with more Facebook notifications and more email notifications and more Twitter notifications alongside the demands of a, of a spouse and a boss and a, perhaps children in some cases and, and the sense of running harder and harder and getting nowhere. Ah, it's overwhelming. Perhaps the best we can do is think, well, if I just had a little bit more money, I'd be able to, I could work a little harder and then get a promotion. Maybe I'll just work a little longer this week and I'll impress my boss. Uh, Maybe I'll get a little more education online and and then I can do better in life and get a better job. The hamster wheel just keeps turning faster and faster and the frustration sets in. If you're like me, there have been those days when you come home after the end of a long week and you flop down on the sofa, bone level fatigue, and you go, man, I've been in a rat race all week, and the rats are winning. None of us really wants that kind of lifestyle. We long to jump free of the worrisome wheel. We, we know there's more to life than this, more to life than simply earning a paycheck and putting food on the table and finding a rocking chair to retire. How do we get out of the rat race? What do we do to leave behind this worrisome hamster wheel and and move toward a worry-free life? That's the question we want to answer this morning, and we're going to do it by looking at a, 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 a text in a few minutes about the right way to answer the question. But before we turn there, let me, let me ask you to think with me for a moment about three rather common answers to that question. How, how do people usually try to get off the worrisome wheel of the rat race? Perhaps the most common one is simply work harder. Let's see if I can run fast enough and go hard enough to gain financial independence. And once I'm financially independent, my worries will really be gone. Maybe I can retire early. Hmm. Of course, that doesn't usually work. A a second common response is to, to just keep on the worrisome wheel, not try to work too much, but but just live in hope that, that someday it will all magically get better. You know, um, uh, maybe I'll win the lottery. Or, <laughs> he's tried that maybe. Or, or maybe, uh, maybe I can invest in the stock market and I'll get a thousand percent return on some stock and everything will be better. Or, or, or maybe I'll meet a, a Nigerian prince who's worth a few billion, you know, and get married. Doesn't work. And of course, most of us have probably thought at one time or another of of joining those people who have just jumped off the wheel. You know, they've become beach bums. 
They're, they're the people who just kind of drop out of society. I've, I've met several here in Ethiopia. Um, I've met people who are bicycling from, from Europe all the way through Africa, just, just forgetting about the world. I met one couple a few years ago who they were walking, they were walking over the course of several years from Johannesburg to Jerusalem. They just left the wheel. But that's not a very good solution either. These are the kinds of things that the world tries to do to get off the rat race. And we can try as well. But Jesus told his disciples something very, very different. And so this morning we want to look at what he expects of his disciples as an alternate way of life from running crazy on a worrisome wheel. The first action, there will be three actions to look at this morning, and the first action is this, to, to reject the rat race as faithless and futile. To reject the rat race, the whole concept, as both faithless and futile. We see that in Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 28. So if, I, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me, <clears throat> Luke chapter 12, verse 22. Great text. You will, you will be encouraged, I believe. Luke chapter 12, verse 22. The Lord is teaching His disciples, and He says this, verse 22, Then Jesus said to His disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not, do not, do not worry. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, and yet, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds! Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, then how much more will He clothe you? <laughs> oh, you of little faith. Stop there. Jesus is essentially saying to His disciples, reject the rat race as faithless and futile. Uh, he, he does it with this very strong idea, do not worry about your life. Don't worry. Achenaku. No, stop. Not food consumption, not clothing, not adornment. Stop worrying. This kind of worry essentially is, is all about self-preservations. What you might eat or drink, it's to keep us alive. Uh, the disciples perhaps are, are concerned like everyone else in their world about what they would wear. Now, in our day, we probably look at clothes a little bit more um, 
as a stylish thing, as something to, uh, something to you know, say who we are. But, but in that day especially, clothes were primarily about protection and keeping you alive. So Jesus is saying to the disciples, don't worry about your self-preservation. Don't worry about keeping yourself alive. Whether it's food or clothing, stop worrying it, worrying about it. Reject that concern. Now, Jesus is not talking about forethought. He's not talking about planning. He's really talking about this, this undue concern that people can have about, about preserving their lives and protecting themselves from harm. It's a, it's a preoccupation. It's a being apprehensive. It's anxiety. It's distress. It's that knot in your stomach that tomorrow something's going to go wrong. And Jesus says, stop it. To the disciples, he says, eliminate this worry and scurry about, about your fishnets and your fields, about your vineyards and your grain supplies. Uh, don't worry about the produce that's going to be there. Stop the worry and scurry for self-preservation. Reject the rat race. But of course, Jesus doesn't leave it there. He, he suggests that they reject the rat race as faithless activity. Because the disciples are to stop, stop pursuing self-preservation when they believe that their heavenly Father truly provides for them. He provides life. He provides what is needed for body. He provides what is needed for life. And he gives them a couple of examples that are so helpful for us and for them. One from food consumption and an example about uh, clothing and adornment. Look what he says back in verse 24, uh, this example about the birds. He says, um, consider the ravens, the birds. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them how much more valuable you are than birds. So Jesus' point is you have, uh, you have a heavenly Father who provides for you even more than He does for birds. Now, at my house in, in Dallas, I have a, a nice view of our backyard. And uh, this past spring, when it was raining and my grass was growing, it was very interesting to watch the birds come every morning. And they would come, and it, it, quite fascinating. They would just come and start looking for the worms that God had provided. And they would eat their fill, and they would fly away. Uh, they didn't plant a worm farm. You know, they, they didn't seem the least bit worried. Uh, they, they, they didn't come pecking on the window of my house. They just came and collected what God provided. And that's what God says for the disciples. This is how God provides for His people. You need not worry about it. Example two, having to do with what is, what is being worn. Look at verse 28, where he talks about the clothing. He says, if, um, verse 27, sorry, consider how the wild flowers grow. They don't labor or spin, but not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. So if God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, uh, how much more will he clothe you? He's talking about grass which comes up so beautiful 
not just grass, but flowers, and, and the wildflowers especially that have multiple colors and multiple shapes, and, and none of them go to the store and say, you know, I, wa- I want to find new petals so I look better. None of them have to worry about the colors or shapes of their petals. And, and Jesus points out, he says, look, the, the grass is so temporary. One day we're admiring its beauty that God has given it, and another day it's, it's being used as, as fire starter in your furnace or your oven so that you can, you can make your dabo. If God will give such concern to clothe the flowers, how much more concern will He give to His people? In other words, disciples, if you live like a hamster on a wheel, running a rat race to provide for yourself. It's a faithless activity. You're living like God doesn't ever provide. And so, Jesus says to His disciples, reject the rat race as a faithless activity. It's always amazing to me that, you know, the, the flowers of the field, they don't worry about the styles of designer jeans or swimwear or shoes. God just takes care of them. Jesus even hints at how this is a faith issue because did you notice there at the end of verse 28 when he says, you of little faith. You you see, disciples, this, this is a faith issue. It's not a finance issue. I, I don't think the disciples were particularly well off financially. They didn't have a pension plan when they were following Jesus. Peter did not have a storage unit full of fish. So believing this, it would be difficult. This would not be easy. A disciple cannot engage in a worry and scurry for self-preservation and say that they really believe that God provides. Those two don't match up. May I suggest to you that nothing has changed since the days of disciple fishermen to today, that for us also to get out of the rat race, we must reject it as faithless activity. We really have to believe that God provides for His children. Simple, right? Just believe. Many of us heard this as children in Sunday school. You know, and you've seen it on posters. Just believe God provides. God provides. Or maybe you, you got a, a greeting card one day and it said, God takes care of us. God provides for us. He will take care of you. We even sing a song like that, a, a kind of a children's song. God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. 
We sing an old hymn sometimes, for his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Sure, God cares and provides, except when he doesn't. And so believing is hard. For we have all seen birds starve and grasses wither and die. And we've seen believers live in desperate straits. So what kind of promise is this? It cannot be a 100% guarantee that, that our experience will always be free of deprivation. This is not a promise that God says, oh, you'll never have poverty and you'll never have hardship. That's not it. But Jesus is certainly saying that God knows and this all-wise, all-knowing God who is always good is quite capable of providing everything that we need. And in general, we can anticipate that he will meet our needs. And if he does not do as we expect, then we must anticipate that he has greater plans for greater things through our deprivation instead of through our sustenance. When we suffer in the pains of poverty or lack, with faith we can say, I do not understand, but I trust my life into the welfare of a God who loves me dearly and knows what is best. I hope my faith is such that I can say I'd rather be experiencing deprivation while in a trust relationship with my Heavenly Father than great abundance while in rebellion against Him. I want that kind of faith that says, yet if he starves me, still I will trust him. But for most of us, we are not on the verge of abject poverty, down to our last t-shirt and not without a place to lay our head at night. That's not the situation for most of us. And instead, we are scrambling to preserve our lives and protect ourselves. And Jesus says, believe. When you get up in the morning and, and you're unsure of whether this day will take you toward poverty or toward prosperity, utter with your breakfast table, God will provide. As you are busy about the morning, perhaps conquering things at your office or creating a shopping list of groceries and working on the school, the kids' clothes for school and, and maybe going to the petrol station to get very expensive fuel for your car. We can do these things in faith, saying with a prayer on our lips, I know that God will provide. When you, when you sit down for lunch, whether 
Whether you're at a little restaurant or you're opening your, your leftover injera bawat or your leftover uh, sandwich, and, and before you eat, you can say, I know that God provides. And when you lay your head down on the pillow at night, whether your day has moved you toward poverty or toward prosperity, we can once again thank God that we have a God who provides. And this is what we must believe. With that faith, we reject the rat race as faithless, and instead we believe. Additionally, the disciples were to, were to reject the rat race not only as faithless, but as, as futile. It wouldn't get them what they thought it would get them. Uh, key verses, verse 23. Look back at your text, please. Notice, notice what it says. For, for life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. L living is, is so much more than keeping a heart beating and lungs breathing, right? Uh, living is certainly not defined by wardrobe hanging in the closet or from our bodies or or another pair of shoes on our feet. For life, true life, is, is not wrapped up in the material. And it doesn't end with the grave. There's more. And I suspect we all get it. Probably none of you are disagreeing with that idea. We understand that. Think for a moment, even if you were to run the, this race perfectly, what Jesus is saying is, in the end, it fails. Even if you got all the things that we were pursuing, it fails to really give us life. To get out of the, ra to get out of the rat race, we must reject it not only as faithless, but as futile. It's like running on a treadmill and getting nowhere. Man, that is hard to admit, <laughs> right? I mean, just cuts, it cuts right across our ego that we're doing something, working so hard, doing it better than most people, perhaps, and not getting anywhere. And, and all of us are able to justify our futility. <laughs> Oh, we want a better life for our kids, so we'll keep running. We want to provide them with better schooling or a nicer house or, or maybe be able to send them to a, uni a university, even outside of Ethiopia. We'll keep worrying and scurrying on the wheel. Our, our young people try to justify this pursuit because they don't want to have a life like their parents. They want to live better. They want to, they want to be free of the concerns of their parents. So they'll pick careers and they'll, they'll pick up extra jobs in order, to, in order to alleviate this problem. But what Jesus is saying is that even if we have a nicer house and a nicer car and a better education and better clothes and a better iPhone, it's futile. Because life is more than all of these things. If you want to get off the rat race, you want to get out of the rat race, we must reject it as faithless and futile. That's the first action. 
Jesus calls us and his disciples to a second action to get out of the rat race, and it's this. Not only do we reject it as faithless and futile, but we replace the rat race with seeking God's kingdom. Replace the rat race with seeking God's kingdom. Exchange the pursuit of self-preservation with the pursuit of God's kingdom. And Jesus says it quite clearly in verses 29 through 31. So we pick up with the teaching of Jesus in verse 29. He says, And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink, and do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and, and your father, your father knows you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. There's a replacement here going on from, from seeking self-preservation to seeking God's kingdom. And in fact, these verses, 29 to 31, really, they, they form the heart of this entire text. Um, there, there's a contrast. It's, it's a little bit hard to see in our Bibles because the language got changed just a little bit. That first statement in verse 29, it says, do not set your heart. It literally is, do not seek. Do not seek what you will eat or drink. Now, I know why we don't want to translate it that way, because it sounds like it's an advocate advocating don't work. You know, just, just sit around. That's not what it's saying. It's saying don't seek, don't long for, don't, don't make your life's ambition achieving what you'll eat or drink. Self-preservation. Instead, if you look at verse 31, what does it say? But seek his kingdom. Don't seek this. Do seek that. Don't seek self-preservation. Seek the kingdom, which of course is characterized by what? Self-sacrifice. Oh, that's what Jesus taught. His kingdom is denying yourself and picking up a cross and following him. Instead of self-preservation, disciples seek self-sacrifice. Jesus actually uses another word after, in this verse, which, which is hard to translate. It only occurs once in the New Testament where he says, do not worry about it. It's actually not the same word as worry that we saw three other times earlier in the text. This word is a word that, that seems to mean something like, don't, don't think you're so high and mighty that you can, you can provide what God provides. Don't step out of your bounds and overreach to achieve what God can give you or try to go beyond what God gives you. It's not just the simple word for worry. So a fascinating concept. Jesus says, don't seek, don't try to reach out, but instead seek God's kingdom. The kingdom? The kingdom of God? How do you, what is that? Well, as we've discussed in earlier weeks, in our series, the kingdom of God is this, this display of God's rule upon the earth. It, it's to keep seeking, Jesus says, this presence of God in the, in the here and now in anticipation of the full kingdom that will come later. So that what drives my life is, is not a longing for, for survival, it's a submission to the very rule of God, his values and his order, his ethics, his presence in my life, to, to see that shining out must drive my life's 
course. The rationale for all of this, Jesus says, in this little verse tucked in the middle, is that because people who don't believe, they live in the rat race. My people don't live that way. Did you see how he said it? Look at verse 30, where he says, um, for the pagan world, literally, for all the nations, meaning the Gentile nations, the non-believing people of the world, that, that they run after all such things. And that is the word, actually the word seek. <laughs> the, the unbelieving world seeks all such things, and your Father knows them. Your Father. You see, the unbelieving world keeps clamoring for self-preservation. And Jesus says the believers certainly should know they have a Father who provides for their lives. You can't escape the rat race by moving your house to the mountains or, big, or building a bigger bank account. The only way to jump off the rat race is with an ever-deepening conviction that God provides what you need. This is not an exhortation to being passive. It's not a call for inactivity, but it is an invitation to replace one pursuit with another pursuit. From self-preservation to self-sacrifice. What a challenge for the disciples. And what a challenge for us. Exchange pursuit of a paycheck for pursuit of the kingdom. That doesn't mean it's wrong to be gainfully employed, no. It doesn't mean it's wrong to plan for the future and, and, and take care of needs that you know are going to come, far from it. Rather, an exchange of seeking with my heart everything that's going, going for self-preservation in exchange for that the kingdom. I head for my employment, not with the idea that I'm pursuing a paycheck, but, but that I'm pursuing the rule of God. Uh, I want compensation for my labor, but it's not simply a wage. It's really the way that God is, is providing for us. Complete change of perspective. We don't work to put food on the table but whether we receive our food from God's hand. We don't choose a vocation because of the salary. We choose a vocation because we believe that's where we can pursue and display the rule of God. We're seeking how to get out of the rat race. And what we've suggested so far is that we must reject the rat race as faithless and futile. And that then we replace the pursuit of the rat race with, with pursuit of the kingdom and self-sacrifice. And if you're following, at this point you might well be thinking, uh, this can't really work. I mean, 
<laughs> this frightens me. Because if I really live the way you're saying, if I really live the way Jesus is telling me, then my life, my life is kind of in danger. How can this possibly work? Well, Jesus knew his own disciples on that day were a bit fearful. And so he's going to give them a third action to take. And it both comforts and challenges them and us when he says to pursue God's kingdom, fearlessly relocate your treasure and your heart. Fearlessly relocate your treasure and your heart. Look how he says it in verses 32 through 34. He says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and, and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, <laughs> there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying to his disciples to fearlessly relocate their treasure and their heart, essentially from worldly things to the heavenly. Uh, hey, disciples, take that basket of grain from your field and, and sell it, and sell some of it to give the proceeds to others. Take that catch of fish and, and sell some of it and give the, give the, the profit to help others. Uh, your sheep have birthed new lambs. Uh, sell some of the lambs and, and give the money to those who need it. In other words, disciples, divest of your earthly interests and instead invest in heavenly ones. Stop clinging to your alms, disciples, and be generous with others. It's a reallocation of assets. Hmm. Now, if you're following Jesus, you're thinking, this seems counterproductive. If my problem is that I worry about preserving my life, it seems you want to destroy what I've provided for my life. It's backward. Every piece of financial advice that you will find in the media and in Business Week and in Money Magazine will talk about saving more, getting rid of debt, striving to be financially independent, and retiring early. That, that's not all bad advice. But for believers, the goal is not financial independence. It's really financial dependence, dependence on the Lord. It is a fearful thing to live this way. And God, God gives to His disciples this status of Him being the shepherd, the Father who cares for them. Do not fear, little flock. He says to them, I'm the good shepherd who can take care of you. They have this position as sheep under the great shepherd who supplies for their needs. There's a couple of wonderful results, and quickly you probably have seen them here 
that happen when, this, when we do this. The treasures in heaven are indestructible and influential. Notice what happens. When you store up treasures in heaven, Jesus says, they're indestructible, verse 33. No, no moth or rust, no inflationary pressures there, no stock market corrections to worry about. The investment of the treasure in the kingdom, well, it's, it's protected with heavenly insurance. It cannot be destroyed. And perhaps even more fascinating to me is the result that has on our hearts. Because Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, if you relocate your treasure to heaven, your heart goes with it. If you want to train your heart to seek the kingdom, Jesus says, invest in the kingdom and your heart will follow. If you want to get a starving child to eat, you feed it and feed it until the appetite begins to awaken. And then when the appetite awakens, the child craves food and eats on his own. My friend, until we invest in the kingdom, our hearts will be drawn somewhere else. Relocate your treasure and your heart. This does not mean that home ownership is bad. It doesn't mean that owning a car is wrong. It doesn't mean that owning a second pair of shoes is improper. It does mean that our conviction in God's care for us will result in a relentless search for the benefit of others, and our heart goes with it. And so we give. We give to the church. We give to the poor. We give to the immigrant. We, we give, if you don't have money, we give of our time and our energy. We give. And one day we wake up and we say, hey, that's not so hard because that's where my heart wants to go. How fascinating it is to watch God, grow us in these matters. We all want to get out of this worrisome hamster wheel. It's a terrible life, isn't it? It's just a terrible way to live. Worry, fret, scurry. My friends, the non-believing world has no way out, really. But we do. To reject the rat race as faithless and futile, to, to replace seeking self-preservation with seeking the kingdom, and then to relocate our treasures to the kingdom. That, my friends, will work. Please understand, this is, not a, this is not a message about financial management. This is not an attempt to make you or persuade you to give more to the church. This is a plea, an invitation that says, believe. 
because it all starts here, believing that our God provides for us. We are not like the world around us. We have a Father who's good and takes care of His children. And so, our Father, we ask this morning that You would help us believe. Please strengthen our faith and intensify our pursuit of the kingdom of God. For Jesus' sake, amen.